The function of leadership is to produce more leaders, not more followers. Leaders of Men. Welcome to Leaders of Men. I'm your host, Nick Warner. In a society that yearns for legitimate male role models, I speak to men that are forging the pathway to a healthy, integrated masculinity. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Dominic Catuccio. Dominic is an international speaker and author of two personal development books, Design Your Future and On Purpose Leadership. He's the co-host of the Great Man Within podcast, which is a show for high-performing men focused on purpose, masculinity, and all matters of sex. He's also the leader of the Great Man Mastermind, a global collection of men actively working on living their full potential. This is a really beautifully vulnerable conversation filled with insights and pearls of wisdom. So I really hope you enjoy. Welcome, Dominic Capuccio. How are you, brother? I'm well, Nick. I'm looking forward to diving into some, it sounds like you got 10 deep questions around masculinity. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> they kind of poke and prod into a little bit of uh, your stock standard masculinity stuff and a little bit of vulnerability and a little bit of discomfort and a little bit of creation. And let's, uh, let's jump straight in and see how you go. What does masculinity mean to you? Yeah. You know, I, I think masculinity is something that every man has to define on his own. And so many, so many of us have been assimilated into some sort of prepackaged definition of masculinity. And there's a, a concept that the Oakland Men's Project came up with back in, I think, the 1980s, where they defined what's called the man box. And the man box is this box, uh, uh, the, the walls of which are constructed by old toxic masculinity frameworks, right? If, as long as you're hyper-aggressive, as long as you're dominant towards women, as long as you never show any emotion, as long as you never have to ask for directions, uh, as long as you're a heterosexual male, uh, then you get to live inside this box and be, here's your man card. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime that you're outside of that box, then you lose your man card. And for a small subsection of, of the human population, they naturally align with those tendencies and fit inside the box. For most of us, we do not. And most of us have either assimilated or shaved off portions of who we are to try and fit in to that stereotypical confined, constrained box. Uh, So I suppose I'm answering your question from a place of what is masculinity not, you know, for me, for me first. Um, So I think the first and foremost is, each man has to, to, to define that on his own. And I think, that's a life, I think that's a lifelong journey. And the way I would answer it now, which will be different than how I answer it a decade from now or you know, at the end of my life, is for me, um, masculinity is finding my way to my core to understand what my heart is um, without the wounds, how my deep, how deep is my capacity to love? What is my ability to create environments where I can thrive personally and then for others to thrive? And, um, and also to understand like what it is that I'm meant to do here in this world. Like what's my purpose and how can I leave this place better than how I found it? Those are the questions that I've been exploring most deeply and intently on my journey to understanding what does masculinity mean to me? 
Mm, beautiful. It's, you just touched on that, that man box and it makes it so difficult for boys and adolescent teenagers growing up. They're like, oh, fuck, I don't fit into that box. But I'm going to have to try just to assimilate and just to try and fit in with everybody else. And then, you know, a few years later, you just got the, the addiction and you've got the pain and the, as it carries on, the, the suicide because we're trying to be something that we're not. So that's a really beautiful point to touch on. Oh, thank you, man. If you had a 12-year-old son, what is the most significant thing he needs to know? Ooh, I love that question. It ties to where we just were, which is understanding that he has complete authority to author his own definition of what it means to be a man and to, um, to understand that he gets to choose his guides in life that allow him to, to help him author that. Like he, he needs to, he, like, I would want my 12 year old son to have mentors, wise elders, not just dad, but like a, a tribe of other life guides that he can learn from that, would help him to understand things like emotional fluency, right? This is, this is something that I'm, I'm very passionate about because most guys get taught that emotions are your enemies and stuff them down. Um, don't show them and make you weak. That was exactly what I was taught. And that turned into an addiction later in life, which manifests in the form of sex addiction. We can get into that later if you want. But emotional fluency is something that I define as your ability to feel an emotion, your ability to name that emotion, your ability to express that emotion, uh, your ability to be with that emotion, right? Like, like without having to react to it. And then if you desire your ability to shift and transmute that emotion, most of us don't even know how to feel it. Like as soon as it comes up, we want to bury it or numb it or get away from it. I would want my 12 year old son to learn the process that, um, that his emotions are relevant, they're valid. He also doesn't need to be controlled by them. Here's how to, uh, here's how to witness them and to listen to them. And I think, um, I think the last piece, and there, there's so many other pieces that we can get into, but because a big part of my journey was around sexuality is really understanding this potent life force that is his mm -hmm. sexuality, um, that it is natural, that it is beautiful, that is one of the, the most life-giving and creative, powerful forces he will ever have access to. And that just like uh, in Star Wars, that force could be used for good or for evil. <laughs> and, um, and a big part of my journey was um, I, I was taught to, to bury that. It was, it was wronged. It was religiously shamed. It was not welcomed in the household I grew up in. I would want him to have space to explore it, guides to help him to nurture it, um, learn how to treat others with, with respect and to honor, whether he's into men, women, or others, um, learn how to honor those connections as he engages with his sexuality with others. Yeah, it's, uh, this whole sexual energy thing is a big part of my work. And one of the most transformational things I ever learned was how to transmute that energy and, the fact that we learn sex through porn 
is one of the greatest disservices to society that exists and to men and to women. It's if, if boys knew what their sexual energy was capable of in the form of transmuting it and the benefit that they'd get from it rather than constantly losing it into a tissue, the world would be a very different place. Entirely different place, man. And I, I did a post on this on Instagram recently about how, how can we only hear about a man's sexuality when it's a problem? Mm. And I borrowed that from a, a therapist. His name is Dr. David Lay. He, he does a lot of coaching, a, a lot of therapy work with men in, in, in sex rehabilitation, sexual issues. And, you know, we know a lot more about Donald Trump's sex life than we do about Barack Obama's. We know a lot more about Tiger Woods' sex life than say someone else who didn't get caught paying, you know, porn stars to have sex with them while in, in a committed relationship in a marriage. And how come there aren't more men like you, more men like me who are out here saying, I'm a highly sexual man. Here's what my sexuality looks like. Here's my process for masturbating. Here's my process for semen retention. Here's my process for seducing um, my sexual partners and how to build up the foreplay. Here's, here's how foreplay begins days and weeks before the actual sexual experience. You don't hear about this stuff. So it defaults to, like you said, porn stars, players, um, and, and you know, like other forms where guys, uh, like the lowest common denominator, right? Sexual people. Um, so I would say, yeah, that, like that there's an opportunity to point young men, boys, and even grown men in, in other directions. But if we don't make ourselves visible, yeah. you know, like they, they have no shortage of like neon signs pointing to, to the players and the porn stars of the world. I think we could talk about that for a while. Sure could. What is your deepest desire? Wow. I'm going to answer that from the context of purpose. My deepest desire is to fulfill on this mission, this vision that came to me about a year and a half ago when I was walking through nature, asking What's my purpose? What's my, what's my next realm of work here? What do you want from me? And I, I rented this house in Colorado in nature with no Wi-Fi, no cell service. I was by myself for seven days, just did a whole bunch of hikes, did some fasting, did some magic mushrooms. Um, and near the end of the trip, this vision came to me. Oh, because I brought a few books. I brought a book, Iron John by Robert Bly. I bought King Warrior, Magician Lover from Robert Moore. I brought The Way of the Superior Man by David Dada, right? It's just like stoking the flames. In it. <laughs> and by the end of that trip, uh, it was like, if you read these books that have been around for decades, like since the 80s and the 90s, the problems that these leaders talk about still exist in the same exact ways as they do today. And you could cut and paste their, like the, the challenges of those times, plop them into 2021. And it's like, nothing has, nothing has moved. It's like the same problems. And so I heard this vision, this voice that 10 million men need to get on this path, need to do this work of, of inner work, exploring what does it mean to live their best selves around masculinity, sex, purpose, 
And when you can get, when we can get 10 million men on that path, it can create a tectonic shift in humanity. Like that's a tipping point number. So my deepest desire over these next 10 years is for my work, for our work, Nick, for other men like, you know, who are, who are leading other men's communities to stop doing it in silos, to come together, to provide some mm. cohesive, visible, attractive, mainstream opening path for men of all ages, all races, all sexual orientations, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all geographic locations, religions, you name it, to be able to easily find that path, to get on it, and then to walk it like, like you would, uh, like you would commit to anything for, for a lifelong purpose. So my deepest desire is to fulfill on that 10 million men creating that tectonic shift, because then we will start to see a shift in masculinity, in leadership, and how fathers show up, and how husbands show up, and how friends show up, how loneliness is affected, how suicide rates are affected, you know, on and on and on. Like we will actually start to see meaningful change, I believe, when we hit that number. <laughs> fully on board, my friend. Fully on board. What is an uncomfortable truth about you? What is an uncomfortable truth about me? It's so funny. It's so funny when you ask that because if you'd asked me that question like eight years ago, there would have been so many things that would have popped to the surface that I'd be like, holy shit, don't pick any of those. <laughs> and now because of the work that I do, I talk about all of those things, right? I talk all about like sex addiction. I talk all about, and my, my four years in sex addiction, I talk about not, not getting erections in bed with a partner. I talk about like a lot of my deepest insecurities and failings. So it's almost like, what don't I talk about? Uh, what, is, what is an uncomfortable truth about me? Let, okay, so let, let, let's let, let's bring this into the equation. I don't know if this is going to be anything too earth shattering, but from the outside looking in, a lot of people would look at my life and would look at me and probably assume that everything's all sunshine and rainbows, and that I've got my shit together, and that it's pretty cool, like you know, living my life, and. It is like, I, like in a certain respect, but if you were to ask me honestly, hey, Dominic, what's it like to be in your inner world? What's it like to wake up like you? What's it like to go to bed like you? What's it like to have your anxiety? What's it like on a normal day? What's it like to be you when you're at your worst, right? Um, I think people would be surprised to, to learn like how on the inside, um, I still beat myself up more than I praise myself. I still find myself more caught up in my head than I do in tapped into my heart. I still um, allow my consciousness to drift more into the churning of my mind than I do to the, the greater signs of, of God, of the universe, of, of reality, you know, and and I place more stock and, and weight in my mind than I do in, in, in powers much greater than myself. And I think that's, that's an uncomfortable truth for me to share because um, 
I've been on this inner work path for a decade plus now. And these are still things that I struggle with. Um, I've made tremendous progress like over this past decade or so, but there, there's, there's an extraordinary amount of work left to do. And I don't think, I don't think a lot of other people would understand um, how much, how, like, I, I don't wake up every single day being like, holy fuck, like, look at the life of career, you know, like it, it, it's I'm not always in that space as much as I would like to be. And that's uncomfortable for me to share. I want to honor you for that. Two reasons. Often, and I have a similar thing with the vulnerability. Like a few years ago, telling somebody that I used to not be able to get it up and I'd have premature ejaculation, that was super vulnerable for me. Now, I fucking scream from the rooftops. <laughs> it's no longer vulnerable. Not for me. Yeah. Yeah. So vulnerability is when it... The, the, the essence of it is when it actually gets really uncomfortable, not something that maybe used to be, but what is in this moment. So that, I want to honor you for not stepping back onto something that used to be vulnerable. Mm. And the other reason, and this is one of the main reasons that I came up with this leaders of men is that we often put these guys up on pedestals. We look at their life, especially the social media life, and think, fuck, that guy's got it good. He's got his shit worked out. I'm not like him. I can't be like him. And to know that we're all fucking human. Like, we all go through the same shit. And this is one of the most powerful things about the men's work, the men's circles. You sit down with a bunch of men from all different walks of life, all different ages, all different races, everything. We all experience the same shit. We all have the same issues. Maybe different varying degrees or whatever, but it's as men, when we, we, we can't share, while well, we think we can't share and express how we're feeling because we we're meant to have our shit worked out, to know that actually it's okay to express discomfort. And that's, that's just where the power is, just to, to release that burden. So thank you for your, for your honesty and your vulnerability. Thank you, Nick. Uh, I love how you said that. And uh, I, I, I feel seen. So thank you for saying it that way. What is your most profound pain in this moment? My most profound pain in this moment, and it's been, it's actually been pretty prevalent over these last few months coming out of an ayahuasca ceremony that I can clearly see is still integrating. My, my deepest pain is that my mind is the number one thing that gets my, uh, my awareness and my attention, mm. even, even when I don't want it to. Um, my consciousness, which is very different than my mind, seems to get absorbed in my mind. And I've, um, I've had my brain mapped at some you know, pretty prestigious places where I've just wanted to understand what goes on in my brain. And uh, it's turned out that my brain produces a certain kind of beta brainwave frequency that happens in my head 99.5%, more than 99.5% of the population. It's more, it's hyperactive is what they've called it. And they say it's, it's great in the sense of you have discipline and willpower and the ability to anticipate the future. You're probably structured and execute 
And I'm like, yeah, I got all those things. They're like, but it's probably exhausting. That's right. It probably inhibits your ability to feel like, like, you know, feel feelings and to feel joy and bliss as much as you would want. And they're absolutely correct. And even though I sit through meditation on a regular basis, it's amazing how quickly I can get captured in a thought from my mind. And then just minutes, minutes later, I, I catch it that I'm already like on that wild horse that's dragging me around, which is my thought that that creates profound pain because there are so many points of my life where I spend with a blocked heart, where I miss the beauty of moments, where I walk down the street of New York City where I live and there's, there's an abundance of things to be grateful for and the vibrancy and the diversity of the city, the magnificence of its architecture and, and the, the energy and the creativity and the cuisines. And I miss all of it or most of it, because like there's my mind churning away at something that I either don't have or I need to do. And, um, and so the pain blocking me from having some more of those heart-centered experiences, from being able to trust that things will unfold as they're going to unfold without my mind trying to interfere with it, um, or getting in the way of interpersonal connections or intimacy or love or relationships, or to be able to feel something fully the, that, that creates uh, a, a profound level of, of disturbance inside of me. And, uh, and at the same time, as I share all of that with you, Nick, it's, I feel a sense of gratitude that that's like my Mount Everest to climb. Cause I, I love, I love, I love tests. I love big challenges and the bigger the test, the bigger the challenge, the bigger, you know, the sweeter the juice kind of thing. And, you know, just having navigated through a sexual compulsion that kept me captive for three decades of my life and being on the other side of that, I've seen the rewards of having an obstacle like that to surmount. So, you know, this thing, my mind is giving me a beautiful test uh, that I know uh, as I work through this, I'll be able to experience greater joy than I would have without of it, without having that test and also be able to help other men who are struggling with the same thing. Mm. Yeah, it's powerful. Thank you, man. When was the last time you were out of integrity? When was the last time I was out of integrity? There are more, there are smaller examples that I can give you that are more recent, but I'll, I'll share one that's also recent, but it, it, I think it's, it, it feels more alive for me right now. Um, one of my patterns has been opening up romantic situations with women where I have no interest in taking it. Um, to something, say, committed or to something, you know, right, like something deeper. Um, but I open something up because it's potentially available. It's maybe I open it up in a place of weakness where I feel lonely or um, I'm craving something sexually. 
And, uh, and I'm thinking about one woman in particular where, um, I, like I even, I could even see what I was doing when I was opening her up and she started confiding things in me. She started opening up her heart to me. She started opening up vulnerably and it felt, it, it felt great for a period of time, but I think the expectations were communicated in such a way where maybe she thought it was going to be something more. And maybe I led her to believe that there was going to be something more than, than there actually ever was. And when I put the brakes on it, it was jarring for her. Hmm. And, you know, she called me on it. It was, it, it was actually a beautiful thing because she, she named exactly like how I showed up, uh, how I seemed different, you know, than other men that she confided in before. Uh, and that how it hurt when I withdrew or, you know, put the brakes on it. She felt dropped. And it was actually a, uh, it was a beautiful opportunity, Nick, for me to, to like own that pattern. And a part of it was also, she gave her this beautiful opportunity to own the pattern of kind of always playing victim. You know, like she did the thing of uh, like, I'm the helpless, helpless damsel in distress. And like, he's the perpetrator, but you know, she's an adult too. And I'm the guy who's like, yeah, but how can you not see this? And you know, you're, you're becoming emotionally needy. Those are my old, that's my old wounds. And the two of us were able to actually come together and look at our childish ways and, um, and to actually heal that uh, and to say, thank you for being in this space and to name that so I could actually put that part of me to bed. And I have done that. And you know, she's part that, put that part of herself to bed too. But that was a place where I was, I was significantly out of integrity. And that happened, I would say, near the end of last year. It um, resonates quite strongly, actually, and a very similar experience last year sometime and was called out on it. Mm. And um, it's humbling. It's, um, yeah, I think previously I would not have accepted it. I would have denied it. I would have skirted the blame onto them or just close down, but yeah, to get called out on being out of integrity and to, to acknowledge it is a powerful step. Well, that's why I think it's so important that you're asking questions like these, Nick, because, you know, there are these times where I feel really vulnerable as a leader of men, you know, sharing this stuff in, in social set, like social media and like giving this impression or illusion that like, I never, screw up in the space that I never don't revert to an old pattern or that I don't have blind spots. And, you know, and, and like this, this fear of let, let's just say like, you know, someone coming out and being like, here's been my experience with Dominic and, you know, and, and he, he isn't as perfect as he says. He, and I don't claim to be like, I, I, mm. I never want anyone to think that I'm perfect. Never want anyone. I, I may, I used to not anymore. Like I realized the folly in that, like, I'm, I'm very happy with people seeing my insecurities, but there's still that, you know, that fear of, am I living up to the standard that I'm projecting? And, you know, in many cases, I feel really confident in that. And in some cases, not so much. And I'm glad that you give opportunities for me to, to reveal like, Hey, like mm -hmm. here's some really alive stuff that happened recently where I didn't show up the way that I, you know, the standard that I hold. So 
Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. What are you most afraid of? So interesting is as you asked me this question about what am I most afraid of? It's it's not that I have no shortage of fears, but after I like when I when I'm in this reflective place of witnessing the fears come up and then not reacting to them, they all seem mm. inconsequential. You know, they all they, they all they all they all just look like <laughs> like it's like oh, there's just another fear that's irrational. There's just another fear mm. that. So I'm a I'm a, I'm a big. Um, I'm a big student of, of the works of Michael Singer, who wrote the book, The Untethered Soul and The Surrender yeah. Experiment. Um, and he obviously relies on, you know, Yogananda and Ram Das and the Buddha and teachings of Christ. And, you know, if, if you go back to like the roots of his teachings, it's all of our fears um, are rooted in our personal preferences, right? Our desires, our cravings. And like, as soon as you start to, release your attachment to any of these fears, uh, any of these cravings for the way you want the world to look or, or aversions, like, like not wanting to happen, these things that like create disturbances inside of you. If you can release all of that, then there's nothing to be afraid of. And I'm deep in those works right now. Like over the last four months, I've been listening nonstop intently to all of that. So when I think about like some of the fears that came up in response to your question, it's like, well, the fear that I won't materialize this 10 million man mission, the fear mm -hmm. that I will never find the true love with the partner of my dreams and like have the kids that I want. Um, the fear that maybe I'm not as big of a leader in the men's movement as I, as I believe myself to be. And I will, and I, I will never be seen as, as the guy that I believe myself to be. And, and then like, you know, I'll only realize when it's too late that, I was just average, you know, like, like those fears are all really are very much alive inside of me. But as soon as I kind of like sit and look at each of them, it gives me a chance to just laugh at every single one of them to recognize that uh, I, like fear is just based on my conditioning. I don't I, like, and I don't, I choose not to fuel its fire by, uh, by allowing it to, to give it more attention than it deserves. So I let it rise and let it fall. Yeah, I appreciate that reminder. Yeah, I mean, for sure, my, my biggest fear is not achieving my full purpose or my potential. But yeah, to you release that, uh, release the attachment and okay. Like, and that's the question is like, it's, it's, how would I even know, you know, like how, how would I know if I've reached my full potential, you know, like what's that based on? Do I, do I have some sort of preconceived notion of what potential is supposed to look like? Um, or is that a feeling? And, um, and, and, and for me, you know, the, the feeling that I'm after is no matter what life throws at me, no matter what context, uh, no matter how good it gets, no matter how bad it gets, I'm in love with the reality that's in front of me. That's, that's, that's what enlightened beings do. 
right? That's what like, a, like say even a Jesus Christ would do when nailed to the cross, you know, forgive them for they don't not know not what they do and accepts that situation and still has love for, for what's in front. If I can find myself in a place where I'm that loving and accepting, even in those worst of moments, for me, that feels like uh, there's that there would be nothing to be afraid of anymore because life could throw whatever at me. And like, I'm good on the inner world. What would you like to be known for? Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to be known as one of the most deeply influential uh, leaders of the men's movement, like defining uh, what it means to be masculine, what, what it means to be a man in, in this world today, um, helping men to discover and live what's the great man within them. So I run, the, I run the podcast called The Great Man Within Podcast, and it's predicated on this belief that we have these two lives, the life that we're living now, and this unlived life within us, which is the great man, right? Like that's your full potential person inside of you. And if, if I could be known as one of the leaders that really helped make this work so normalized that it becomes kind of like how workout routines are for people, how yoga practices are for people, how meditation practices are for people. It's, you know, this stuff is in, you know, meditation like is in every corporate business in the world right now, you know, like, but seven or eight years ago, it was still this mystical woo woo thing. It transcended, it made mainstream. If I could be known for helping to make this work mainstream, to make it attractive, to make it accessible, to destigmatize, and to, uh, to be someone who contributed to, you know, helping to break intergenerational trauma and patterns of, you know, this toxic masculinity that gets passed down or, you know, fathers abandoning their families or not being available emotionally. I mean, would there be any better way to go out, you know, like to take my last breath than to know I left the world in a better condition than how I found it in those respects? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would, uh, that would feel great. Quite the legacy, huh? Shooting big, man. Go hard or go home. <laughs> All right. And last question. What would you love for men to know with every fiber of their being? Oh, this is one that, this is one that like I, I keep saying over and over again. You are so much more fucking capable and more powerful and have way more potential than you can even possibly imagine from where you sit right now. With every fiber of your being, if you were to know that, your fire would burn so much hotter. Your life experiences would be so much richer. Your sex would be so much more powerful and deep and exciting and mysterious and adventuresome. Um, the people that you would have in your life would be so much more energizing and fulfilling and inspiring you have no idea what you are capable of from where you sit right now. It, it's so much big. I mean, and the reason why I'm saying this, I'm speaking to, when I say this, I'm speaking to say like the 30 year old version of me, like the 12, year, 12 years ago before, right before I got on this path of doing inner work, I thought my life was pretty good. You know, like I, and I had plenty of evidence to point to no concept whatsoever. 
how much better it could be, how much more internal freedom there is, how many more cool experiences I could have, the deeper the love I could feel. And I'm only a decade onto this journey. Holy shit. You know, I've got another 60, 70 years left to go. I plan on living a long time, Nick. And can you imagine? Like, and I'm just getting better at this game. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm an infant and I'm getting better and better. When I'm at that master level stage, I can't even imagine. I have no concept of how, how good it's going to feel in 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So if you can actually start to believe that you have no idea what you're capable of, how much better it could be, and then get excited about that mm. and then get curious about that. Now you get that, like, what's there's this quote that keeps going around. Like we all have two lives and the second one begins when you realize you only have one. <laughs> and and if you can realize that like you only have this one life the urgency to actually participate and show up in your everyday life and to treat each moment with the preciousness that it deserves if you could actually feel that in every fiber of your being and i don't feel it in every fiber of my being yet but i feel it in more fibers than i've ever had before hmm. once i get to every fiber of my being my god try and knock me off my enlightened state of being like i plan on heading up there man <laughs> man i love this question because the responses come directly at me and i'm just i've received this and it's like yes yes <laughs> yeah so it's a great super question motivational these Brother, are great questions nick <laughs> that's the that's the 10 so amazing amazing responses beautifully profound Depth was just, yeah, stoked to have you on board, mate. Thank you for giving me an opportunity. Um, I would love, like, I would love to listen to this again and hear those questions again and, like, to actually think more deeply about them and see how I'd answer them differently next time. But you've definitely left me, you, you've definitely shaken some stuff up in here. Thank you for that. Good. Good. Just before you go, um, if you just want to share with people listening what you have on offer coming up. Yeah. Uh, the, the two things that I would love, uh, number one is if you're a man who resonated with what you hear here, please come listen to the Great Man Within podcast. Mm. It's a show where we talk about, it's a show geared towards men who are interested in purpose, defining masculinity, learning how to be a strong masculine leader, and then all topics of sexuality. We talk like, you know, openly and honestly about all that stuff. And obviously if you follow Nick and like, you're no stranger to that stuff. And the second thing is come join our Facebook community for men. Um, it's called the great man within podcast. You just go into the Facebook group, great man within podcast. I don't love Facebook, but it's, it's a community that um, is important because so many guys are just sitting here consuming content all day long. You know, like how many, how many more pieces of content do you need to read? How many more books do you need to read? How many more podcasts do you need to listen to before you start to recognize it's actually like connecting with other men, you know, like doing the inner work with other guys and stepping out of lone wolfing your life and becoming part of a tribe. The great man within Facebook group, we, we've got, you know, we just launched it. We get about 500 guys in there now who are really there supporting one another, sharing wins and losses, getting obstacles, troubleshot. And then, you know, we constantly have like challenges and paid programs that like, you know, get announced in there. So the great man within podcast, the great man within Facebook group, you know, come join. Beautiful. I'll put that info uh, in the appropriate spot. 
Brother, thank you very much again. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Nick. So Appreciate you, soon, you man.